Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. We are powered by the Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper. This podcast is our eddy in the rushing waters of local journalism. We are glad that you're taking some of your time to listen to us chat with the people who shape our local community. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, Remax Key Properties, a family-owned, full-service real estate brokerage specializing in residential, luxury, commercial, new construction, and ranch and land properties. Their new state-of-the-art facility at 42 Greenwood Avenue is a modern, collaborative space and the new home of the Ben Don't Break podcast recording studio. Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. I am your host today, editor Nicole Vulcan. Today I'm joined by Kareem Bori and Jordan Schiff, two friends who live in Redmond, Oregon, and who, from a global perspective, might be on two very different sides of a contentious issue. Kareem is a Palestinian and Lebanese person, and Jordan is an American Jew. I brought them on to Ben Don't Break today to open up a conversation about how two people who might be construed as on opposing sides have navigated their friendship and their conversations since October when Hamas launched its attack on civilians and Israel followed suit and then some. I'll tell you a little bit about each of them and then we'll launch into what I hope is a really great and productive conversation. Thanks for being here, Kareem and Jordan. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, on to the bios. According to Kareem's bio, he always tells a story to make a point. In his professional bio, he starts with an anecdote about how people always ask him where he's from. Classic, we hear this a lot in Bend, and how he typically responds with down the street or California or the like. As he says, that's pretty much the only way to communicate when you're 100% Palestinian, 100% Lebanese, and yes, 100% American. The other occupational qualification that comes from this heritage is a knack for standing up to injustice. Being a child of a refugee, a child of war, and an immigrant five times over imprints a sense of personal mission, that everyone deserves a home, a a sense of home, and to belong whatever shape that takes. Being a part of a diaspora dispossessed from its land, Kareem knows that true social change comes by reallocating power to marginalized groups, by figuring out pathways to effectively communicate their message at mainstream tables, and by utilizing a multimodal approach to build bridges of understanding. And he's been blessed to do this for more than 20 years in international business and community-based organizations through the development of policies and programs that address economic, workforce, community, and education needs. Today, he's a principal at Mixty Communications, which he operates with his wife, Jamie Hampton. Welcome, Kareem. Well, thank you, Nicole. I'm going to ask you to introduce myself everywhere I go. Now. <laughs> hey, I, I believe you, you supplied me with some of this bio. So, so you know, I'm just uh, doing my best not to goof it up. So, uh, meanwhile, we have Jordan Schiff. He was born and raised in Durham, North Carolina, in a conservative Jewish family. He went to school at Virginia Tech for environmental policy and planning and moved to Oakland, California in 2012, where he worked in research firms, eventually in home care and sales software, and as a customer success manager. In 2020, during the pandemic, he moved to Redmond with his wife, where they live with two dogs in their dream location. They've been visiting ever since 2014, when they came on a road trip and continued to visit each year after until the final arrival in 2020. He loves to snowboard, kayak, hike, trip in the camper. Oh, that was 
That was difficult. Where he and Kareem happened to be on October 7th, day, the day of the Hamas attack. And you can imagine that the conversations between these two friends about the conflict started right then and there. Welcome, Jordan. Thank you. And yes, to clarify, we, we were not tripping in the camper. We were uh, camping in the camper. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> in the yes. woods. Road tripping in the camper. Exactly. Right, the right words, Nicole. No, no worries. We may have been tripping in the camper. You, know, you never Sometimes, know. Sometimes, maybe. That's for another story. Yeah, yes. It's a different podcast. Mm-hmm. Yep, we, yep, we'll, we'll talk about that next time. Okay, so we want to just have an open conversation, kind of open up the world of Kareem and Jordan's friendship and how the two of you are navigating this time. Um, So we think the start should be somewhat about how we ended up here and how on top of that, it's how it's hard to have feelings when you're so removed from it. So let's just start there. What, what are your thoughts? You want to start with that? Well, I think the, the story you, you shared about where we were when October on October 7th is actually quite fascinating. So Jordan and our wives and and myself were new friends. We went camping finally for the first time and we had no cell reception in a random act of (coughs) luck, dumb luck. My wife gets a ding on her phone and it's an alert from the Washington post about Hamas's attack. And in that moment, just here I am looking at a new friend who I knew is do- uh, who I know is Jewish, and I don't even know if I can say that to him. I'm like, hey, bud, did you see this? Because I'm devastated. I'm crushed. I'm dying inside, and I'm supposed to now just like talk about what are we going to make for lunch together? Are we going to go hiking? What about the dogs? And and I didn't know if he knew, and we just didn't talk about it for three weeks. We just wrapped up the trip, came home, and didn't talk for about three weeks, right? Yeah, yeah. And for three weeks, I kept asking myself, "What? I need to reach out to him. And I didn't know how, because I had to do a lot of thinking about, what am I really feeling right now? How do I want to show up? What do I, and it was just this nonstop cycle in my head of absorbing news every day and, and, not, and feeling the more and more alone um, here in Redmond, Oregon, watching something that feels so intimately home to me and not knowing who I could turn to to talk to about it. So, yeah, it took that long. And then I just, yeah, I don't know what you were doing. Yeah. Where, where, how were you doing in those few weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think the joy of camping around here, one of the reasons I live here, right, is to unplug and fully unplug. Um, so I I didn't have my phone, uh, or maybe it was on, I just didn't get reception, but I didn't know about any of this, right, until we got back into service. We even stopped for dinner on the way back, Um and I started seeing things then, but I, I wasn't really paying attention to it. And if it was weighing on your heart, I did not see it weighing on your heart, which means you are also an incredible um, you know. liar. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say actor, but <laughs> you did a great job of, of, of really holding that in. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I mean, even on this trip, we're new friends within the last year. We have had deep conversations throughout this whole weekend, mm-hmm. right? We see eye to eye on a lot. Um, we... We had conversations about my upbringing in the South, your upbringing, you know, in France and then the U.S. and your, you know, Lebanese heritage and things like, you know, we we covered so many bases that it almost felt it would have been a place for us to actually unpack. Obviously, it was very fresh. But anyways, we got back, found out all, you know, we're catching up on the news. I'm feeling all these feels, right? Um, And 
and then Israel starts its, you know, retaliation and things like it, it, within that first week. I mean, it was almost immediate, right? By the time we had gotten back, pretty much it had started. And we reached out, my wife and I texted, you know, you and Jamie, uh, and we, we said, hey, how's, you know, how's Kareem doing? Um, and we didn't hear from him for three weeks, right? And I didn't know how to, again, I, uh, you know, I'm Jewish and I know about his heritage and I know that he's feeling um, confused and scared and things like that. And I wanted to reach out. Now, when I eventually did, it was when I was camping again for the eclipse, which was, I think, a couple weeks later. And I texted him and I said, you know, this is maybe after one or two texts that said like, hey, hope you're doing all right, right? Where I didn't expect a response. But then I texted him and I said, hey, you know, I went camping this weekend and I thought about you. I hope you're doing well. These are some things that are on my mind. Here's an Eclipse playlist I made on Spotify. I'd really love for you to add some music to it. Because <laughs> I appreciate, you know, like, how? let's break some ice, you know, let's break some bread here. Let's get back to um, where we can where we can approach these things. And that, I think, hit home, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um. See, this is why, you know, I mean, just for all of you who are camping and have your phones on, you know, maybe you shouldn't have your phones on. Yeah. That is the <laughs> lesson. Sorry, um, Jamie. No, no. Jamie regretted it and hated, hated it. She actually, my wife, Jamie, wondered if she should even tell me because she knows that this is going to gut me and that I'm going to go down, you know, some emotional spiral of sorts. So, um, so when she elected to do that, it, we, we talked real quick in our camper van and I'm like, okay, I'm good. Um, We'll figure it out later. Um, and Jordan is right in, in the sense that he, you know, has a friendship with a guy who was an utter jerk for two weeks and left him in the dark and did not answer these really kind texts coming back. And I don't know that I could have asked for a better friend who understood and didn't um, judge for that. Um, and when we did get together, it was because of the, the sense that I am feeling an isolation it's a story that I am telling myself in my own head. And I have a group of friends. And so the best thing I can do is what we Middle Easterners do really well, which is let's get together and eat. And that's what we did. I sent a text to our whole group of friends in Redmond. It was four couples. And it just said, how about this Sunday? We'll just all bring something to share. And it was fantastic food. Um, everybody came. And what we learned, and I think the dynamics of that conversation were such that everybody was hurting in some way, whether, and it wasn't just Jordan and I, like we, I think, led the conversation because we are so deeply by identity and history and story hurt by this and affected by this. But as our friends and started talking, they all were experiencing a level of pain and isolation that this m gathering helped them share. And so I think that's the story that since then, we've seen happen over and over and over across Central Oregon in Bend, um, in friendships we've made and new people we've met. And, and I was joking with you, Nicole, did you know there's four other Palestinians in Central Oregon? Because <laughs> I didn't until this happened. And now I have four other Palestinian friends and that's fantastic. So I want to see the light in these moments. And one of the things you can probably expect from this conversation is, and Jordan and I are friends and we're guys who camp, who are married. We don't do this for a living, right? We're not, you know, 
politicians, public affairs experts. We're not academics on, you know, 75 years of, of history here in a region. But we certainly care about each other, and we often will use humor to to release that tension valve that we feel when it's building up. So just be warned. At some point, we're going to crack a joke or two on something that is really tough, but that's how we manage to make sense of it and know that we're here. We're here. I got you. We, yeah. Get. Yeah, I think <laughs> just to add to that, I remember when we did get together for food at, at Kareem's house. First of all, just, just seeing him, I was like... All right, Th- that that in and of itself, I was like, you know, that felt right. But then when we all sat in your backyard and you said something and, you know, you sort of passed the mic, I'll say, to me and I said something and then I just got up and ran over and hugged him uh, in front of everyone. And it was like, after that, we had a, a really good conversation, but it was one of these things where, um, and it wasn't, it's not just my local friends, you know, like I felt the need to, not just not just reach out to you in those moments i have a lot of friends from when i lived in the bay a lot of friends who are um have relatives or or who are palestinian who are lebanese um uh you know maybe not direct to gaza but everyone in that region feels this and i had to you 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 have to reach out and say something that hey i acknowledge this is really hard for you and i want you to know that i feel for you doesn't mean i have to go post things on social media to make, you know, to portray myself as some type of like, I'm standing up for the things that, you know, know, but it was, I needed to make a personal connection, reach out to all of the people who I knew were hurting. And it started with the people who I see day in and day out. So I want to back up a little bit and just talk a minute about that moment when you each found out about what was happening and um, what, your own identity um, brought out in you um, when you found out about this thing. I guess, um, you know, my question for for Jordan as an American Jew, didn't grow up in Israel, maybe doesn't have quite the, you know, the same level of involvement. You know, what what was going through your head at that moment? And then I, I definitely want to hear from Kareem, Kareem about that same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, didn't grow up in Israel, grew up, um, grew up in North Carolina in a um, liberal household, but as a conservative Jew. So conter- conservative Jew means, you know, you're going to Hebrew school frequently, week, you know, weekly, um, have a bar mitzvah, things like that. Um, and, you know, I'm one of those people, it's not like I would walk into a room and introduce myself. Hi, I'm Jordan Schiff. I'm a Jewish person, right? Like that's, that's not my identity, especially not in Redmond, Oregon, right? Um, but my friends know that about me. And it, uh, when I lived in California, there is that community as well. Um, you're, you're taught in not just in Hebrew school, but through your Jewish community that Israel is your safe haven. Israel is the country for the Jewish people, right? Now, I've also learned beyond that, I think, um, once, you know, once you be, once I was living in California, I think I've learned more about, you know, the history the overall history, but I would in no way, shape, or form say I know a lot about that history, right? Um, I, I did go to Israel on my birthright trip. It felt a little bit propaganda-y, right? Which I know is sort of the purpose of the trip, but also it was an amazing trip, right? You get to see places you'd never see otherwise. So my first feelings were how, hor- you know, it's a ho- it was a horrible attack, right? And And there's no saying that it's not. And I think 
this this is a good example of like the the people a lot of a lot of the things that i was seeing on social media are oh well you know it was a horrible attack but right it was a horrible attack right there doesn't have to be a but at the end of that statement in the same way that what israel's doing now is horrible um you can't say well it's horrible what they're doing but right it's like again there are not these like unconditional Things are, you know, we, we can admit that both things are bad at the same time. So I was I was sort of distraught by that because by the time I was learning about it, Israel was already bombing the shit out of Gaza, right? And I, it was it almost actually felt more important for me to start reaching out to my friends, um, my friends who have you know Palestinian connections, because you could almost tell that there there was about to be this scorched earth feeling. Um, and I wanted to let, let them know that like, Hey, I not only am I hurting from this, but I'm, I'm hurting for you and what I know is coming. Right. And, and I think also I had, I had been following the Israel news before October 7th of just sort of their overall government. And so that sort of gave me a preview of like, Oh shit. This isn't going to end well for anyone. Right. Yeah. Right? And that's like that. I hate that. You see what's coming before it even is going to happen. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's it's not going to get better before it gets worse. Yeah. So, Kareem, what was going through your mind when you first heard this? I mean, you, you told us about camping, but tell us a little bit about your your specific feelings around this. Um, the first thought was, here we go again. Um, if you've experienced war. Um, you don't let go of that that feeling of fear of what it could mean for your family, your loved ones, home. Um, and I experienced it directly in 2006 when um, Israel went on a similar bombing campaign against Hezbollah in Lebanon when both my mom and my ex-wife, who's America, who was American, could not get evacuated the U.S. was the last country to evacuate its citizens in Lebanon in 2006. And I had at the time, my kids were five and seven. And I have to explain to them why mom is in, a, is in this place that dad is watching news about. And I had to not watch news in front of my kids. And I had to be on the F- State Department hotline every day in Greece wondering when is she going to get evacuated. And she was an academic at the time who was doing a fellowship or visiting, she was a visiting scholar at the American University of Beirut. Um, So the point being is wrong place, wrong time. Um, But when you've experienced the unilateral devastation that an army like Israel's defense forces can unleash, when October 7th happened, that was the feeling of, oh, shit this is going to be bad. And um, there's the, it's a gutting feeling that you go to bed every day with. There's no shutting off news, even when you're not reading it, you know it. So the closest I could get to what it felt like and what I shared with Jordan when we talked again is it's, you you go to bed every day knowing that you're going to wake up the next morning to another version of a Sandy Hook Elementary. And that knowledge is causes that your sleep to be non-existent. You wake up and you have this sense of dread 
all the time. You read the news and you're proven right by the worst thing that you could imagine, children being killed and mothers. And it's just the innocent lives. And I think that that's really the, the thing that I felt every day was how can we tolerate this level of, of, of brutality? And to Jordan's point, and when can we start seeing the humanity in a moment and not have conditionality around it? And that's what I can just translate it. And I'll finish with one thing. I think the moment, because it was super closely followed from after October 7th, I was waiting for my adoptive country. I'm a U.S. citizen. And I was waiting for our leader to say something. And when our president's first public comment and statement used the words 9-11 and ISIS to talk about Palestine, that was the, oh, for sure, here we went again. It happened. Because that moment when you were, if you have any Arab heritage in America and you've experienced 9-11, the amount of hate that folks feel compelled to express to make sense of their feelings is targeted at you by virtue of your name. You are associated with everything that's bad in their mind. Um, so for the record, I'm Kareem. I'm, yes, 100% Palestinian, 100% Lebanese, and 100% American. And I was raised as a Greek Orthodox in a Greek Orthodox family, which is a my Christian minority within a minority within a minority. And funny fact is I'm an atheist. So when people ask me <laughs> why I care so much about this, and if you know that I'm not Muslim, then what is it really about? How can I feel so deeply about something and be gutted every day if it's not religion? And that's what I, tell, I ask my friends to think about because this is about the same things that Israel wants for itself and deserves, just like everybody deserves, is what the Palestinian people like me are asking for. Self-determination, freedom, and safety. That's it. So whoever comes to me with a question of my religion or this group or that group, I'm like, whoa, slow down, because this is not what I'm feeling right now. I am feeling a loss of <coughs> life every day that is just, just scratching at me. And um, so, yeah, I'm really lucky to have a friend like Jordan, I think, to, um, to help make sense of it. Kareem, what you just said has me thinking about, you know, hearing that you grew up in a, Jew, a, a Greek Orthodox church, you have these various um, backgrounds. Do you think that, you know, we were talking before this, before we started recording about the ability to kind of see the gray and not, you know, go into the black or white. Like I'm, I'm very pro-Palestinian, I'm pro, you know, Israel. Um, do you think that influenced where, you know, your ability to kind of parse information, um, just having all those different experiences growing up? Yeah, it did to some extent. Um, and I say to some extent because at some point I also had to ask myself, how do I, who am I? And how can I be true to my heritage, my family, my community, and not just be the well-assimilated immigrant mm. in five different countries? <laughs> um, so when you go through that experience as a child many times over, you just learn to forget who you are and to just be accepted. That's what you need as a kid. 
And so my family was never big on, this is our heritage, this is who you are, you are Palestinian, and this is where, in fact, I don't even know, my dad does not talk about his childhood. And and so, you know, he was born in Haifa. I don't know anything um, because he's super private about it. It was a harrowing experience for him, um, so he doesn't know. Um, So my journey and my story had to be one of understanding and how to listen to others and eventually figure out how to be okay with who I am. And because of the work I've done in terms of, I've worked with community-based organizations and communities that are disinvested and forgotten and how do we fight and advocate for the resources to be well distributed and for the services that we need. I just found that the one thing we all have in common is that we want to be seen. So in this moment, that's what I feel everybody is asking for. When that whataboutism that Jordan you were just mentioning, I think is the the backdrop of that from a feeling standpoint is, can you just say that you see me as a Jewish person who is also deeply afraid of what this attack means because of the scale of what it was? You want to be recognized and seen because that is difficult. Just like any person who is Islam, who is from, who believes in Islam or who's Muslim feels afraid right now or anybody like me who's Palestinian or knows people who are directly affected there are scared every day. I just want to see the common thread between people and acknowledge that and and not have the conditions of uh, that, of whose pain supersedes the others. Pain is pain is pain. Yeah, that's such a good point. You know, whose pain supersedes each other. It's like, it sort of goes into really what we're experiencing seeing social media, like, let's see who the biggest victim is, you know, you know, let's, um, let's trauma bond, mm-hmm. uh, all those kind of, you know, term, terms that we're learning um, mm-hmm. through this moment. Um, Jordan, did you have thoughts about, you know, just being able to see the gray and where that came from for you? Yeah, yeah, and and what you're just talking about with social media, I mean, you know, body counts, right? Like, since when do we measure like if we are measuring things in body counts as some site, some kind of competition, like we've lost sort of sight of the moral company. That is that was a huge like, you know, and and, and yeah, um, the gray area. I think the gray area for me was difficult because friends on both sides of this conflict and when when i first of all when i say both sides of this conflict that right there is what does that mean Mm -hmm. how far on both sides of this conflict but the loudest voices in the room are always the ones so deeply entrenched hard on one side or hard on the other right israel has no right to exist at all and then blah 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 right versus Palestine, or you know, has no history. It should not exist, and we should wipe them off the face of the earth. And because there are Hamas, right? Um, nothing until all the hostages are released. Released, right? On on these 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 just concrete lines that are like they're not starting points to a conversation. They're not starting points to an end. They're not starting points to a resolution or to um, or to communicating, right? Like how I felt like I couldn't. I've had to unfriend or defriend certain um, people who were somewhat close to me uh, who were Jewish because it just seemed like there was not a conversation to even be had about seeing the other side's point of view, right? Um, and they, you know, obviously I would agree that there's there's bad things on both sides that just, but if you can't admit or even talk about that, 
it's again like where do you go from that spot um and then sort of what to what you were saying earlier about you know being raised in a place to sort of fit in you know being raised as a jew in north carolina where that is the one jewish community is the one you grew up with right it we we almost had an opposite of experience where it, I was taught to be, you know, be proud of my Jewish heritage and my culture and things like that. Um, yet when I've moved, you know, when I moved to California, suddenly you're just sort of one of, you know, one, you're just one of the many Jews who live in California. Mm-hmm. Now back in Redmond, I don't know. I don't know what the Jewish community here is. I'm not really a practicing Jew anymore. Um, but I've, but I hosted a Passover Seder at my house with, mm-hmm. with 10 of my close friends, uh, had a Sukkot, uh, dinner in my backyard a couple months ago. These things, it, it's intrinsically part of my heritage. Um, and, and so just circling back there, I, th- I found that sort of fascinating how like I'm ra- you know, you, you're raised to sort of feel these things strongly or not at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and those go in waves, and then when something like this happens, it brings up that heritage in you because you're like, I'm Jewish. I have this connection to Israel. I have this connection to people who have experienced trauma before in Europe. Right, my grandma left Europe uh, in the in the early 1900s, escaping the USSR, and it's like, how can we as those people justify or justify it in the name of our religion? Right. If you want to justify it in the name of Israel, that, you know, not my business, but don't don't throw the term Judaism around as the as a justification for what's happening. Sometimes I felt like we were being looped in on a lot of that. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, something that you both brought up um, also ahead of this conversation is just kind of the cognitive dissonance of the whole thing. You know, we live in a country that was, um, you know, not taken, um, uh, you know, in a nice way, let's say. Um, so we, you know, we all have this sense of, you know, we're, we're living in a place that, that let's, let's face it was stolen. Mm. Um, and whether or not you believe that is the, the case for the Israeli people, for the Jewish people, um, there's always just kind of this thing that you have to, you know, it's like you're almost living with something. I don't know if you have a, if you have thoughts about that, either of you. Um, well, thanks for putting the words out there, but let's say them because I think that that's the the thing that Jordan and I had quickly um, put on the table that allowed us to say, yeah, I see you and I trust you now. We can speak about the fact that you can be anti-government without automatically turning you into somebody who's anti-Semitic. And to you, Jordan, you mentioned that earlier. Before October 7th, the only conversation we were talking of having in the U.S. around Israel was around the right-wing extreme government in Israel. And all of a sudden, we, you cannot talk about a government without being shortcutted into being anti-Semitic. Um, you're talking about colonization and occupying another land and folks not being okay with that. That's mm-hmm. the, why it was like <clears throat> self-determination. My family lost their home. We have a history and a tradition in Palestinian homes, and you'll see it in my house when you walk in. We keep a key by the door because we lost our homes in 1948. So, yeah, the, the, the common thread of land dispossession, of self-determination, and the right to freedom applies to everyone. But Jordan and I agreed really quickly that we saw the politics one way, 
and we could agree on the 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 fact that this is a government that in the last couple of years since it got elected in Israel has been going overboard in applying Zionist principles of taking even more land against international law. So I'm only mentioning the and dropping this, you know, international law and its possession only because we see facts and facts as facts and we can agree on basic history and basic moments that are happening and we don't automatically fall back on the emotive response of this moment. We can we hold space in our hearts for both facts and feelings. And that I think is what matters right now. So I can feel deep um, compassion for Jewish families that are hoping and dreaming for their for their families that are hostages to, to be reunited. And I can also say I am deeply hurting for Palestinian victims every day. And there's no condition placed on that. So at some point, I think that's what we, we, we agree to is facts are facts are facts. And there is so much misinformation out there that people fall back on. And I'm sorry, but it's easy to find facts if you just want to look and find for them. Find them, you will find them. What's been interesting to me is that, you know, there's, there's 5,000 plus years of facts in this story. Um, so you can easily, you know, going back to social media and what people want to share, um, you can choose a fact from 2,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago, um, depending on what you, what you want to look at. Um, I'd love to sh- if you both to share with me a little bit about what your social media feeds have looked like and what that has meant for you or um, how you've been navigating that. Yeah. Yeah. I um that's all you, buddy. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> are you off? Are you off it, Kareem? Uh, yeah. I'm just going to say this real quick, because Jordan knows I run a digital marketing and public relations company, and I am off all social media. And in this moment, I avoid it entirely. Excellent. Good for you. My name's Kareem, mm-hmm. and it's been 30, and <laughs> 25 days since <laughs> I have social media. Good job, Kareem. Um, no, that's. Uh, it, it actually is. Uh, I, I find social media like. So first of all, I'm not on TikTok because I don't know how to TikTok. Uh, I'm just beyond that generation. But Instagram, Twitter, threads, you know, I don't really go on Facebook unless my grandma sends me some message, right? Um, but but those, th- those three, right, are ever since October 7th, right, they've, they've been bombarded, right? And what I was talking about earlier with the loudest voices in the room, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it almost, I, I think there's a, there's a couple things that jump out to me that I really, you know, that, that are scary and frustrating one like what you just mentioned with the word anti-semitic or terrorist i think these are sort of the oh i am pro the the you know the ability for palestine to have a state of their own and a, a life you're a terrorist right versus i am pro you know jews being able to live safely in this region uh you know you're a uh or you know if, just the opposites, right? It's um, the word, those words are thrown around and really lose their meaning in those, in those sense, right? If someone posts something and they just say, well, that's anti-Semitic. Is it anti-Semitic to question something? Right. right? That's yeah. Not, it's not, right? Like, and, and then the conversation is gone. Um, but anyways, back, I mean, back to social media, I've had to mute and or quiet many of my feeds. Um, it is also very obvious 
that a lot of it is fake or propaganda. And I think a lot of people don't see that or that's their only source of information. Mm -hmm. I think that's the most dangerous thing is if you're not reading actual articles, if you're not looking up, um, following up on something and, and sure people might not have the drive to, but if you're going to be someone who's going to make a post about it, or Mm -hmm. if you're going to be someone who's going to have an opinion on it, the wanting to go look up and actually read for yourself or maybe find a book or find a, a you know a, a verified article about the history or about something that actually occurred i think that's just sort of a first step if you're going to make some loud ass post on social media yeah. is, it should be the bare minimum jordan uh, you're speaking my language as a newspaper editor let me tell you <laughs> can i <laughs> add something to maybe the conversation around social but not my own social sure um when we're talking about this this heated and often toxic conversation in America, meaning it's toxic because people come at it from their extreme understanding and not from a place of learning. Social has been a game changer for the Palestinian cause. Yeah. And we, we the difference between um, seeing images and the information wall that has been in America that has been well-crafted for a long time, and I'm more than happy to talk about kind of the money behind that, and I mean lobbying money and powerful money um, because I spend a lot of time in that space. Um, but when it comes to social, there has been a, a tidal wave of sentiment change in America where for the first time, public opinion by young people and folks who are on the democratic side of the the scale are tipping towards Palestine for the first time in history. Why? I fundamentally believe is because we are seeing things through social channels. So when the IDF a couple of years ago was taking homes in the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah in, in Palestine, in Gaza, and in the West Bank, people were documenting that through social channels in their feeds. And that kind of viral content is starting to shape the minds of saying, wait, that cognitive dissonance you you mentioned, I love that because that is it. You're fed a certain narrative of a country, Israel is a victim, and all of a sudden you you have to acknowledge and hold space in your brain that, wait, it's also an oppressor and it's doing that. And at some point you cannot not see story after story after story of one army that is taking action against a people. And let's say for the fact, Palestine is not a country. Mm -hmm. Palestinians don't have an army. So when we use words like it's a war, it's not. It's a conflict with one nuclear power, the only nuclear power in the region, Mm -hmm. against a people that don't even have statehood. So at some point when I say facts are facts are facts, we can... We can have feelings about things, but at some point, it is hard to to ignore what we see. And that, I think, has been the thing that I have hope about is young people in their social, in the region, in the West Bank, in Gaza, are showing us undeniable moments of oppression and conditions that would not be tolerated in any other country. And that is fueling that humanization, this human, sorry, humanizing of Palestine now. It's not Hamas. It is people 
It is individuals. Like, who's the in time, I think, in the Middle East named their man of the year, one of the activists in, in, in Gaza. And I mean, but they were, they're, they're, it's their phone. Who is on the ground right yeah. now showing us what's happening? It is. So I worry about the information flow in this country. And when, Jordan, you say propaganda, like, like any country that has the ability to shut off power, water, um, food, and, and access to everything is an oppressor yeah. overnight. And so when we, this is the only time where I worry about the information, the quality of the information we get, because this is one of the rare international conflicts where no journalists are allowed, where the information, where um, this is the conflict that has killed the most journalists on the ground. This is the conflict in the moment where the most UN humanitarian workers have been killed in the history of the United Nations. So when you can't even provide a basic sense of safety for journalists, doctors, humanitarian workers, at some point, facts are facts are facts. And I love that we get to see it through social. Yeah, that's such a good point, you know, because I mean, so often I think of it like social media as a broad brush, the person doing cat videos and the mindless stuff. But you know, it really does have its points um, where t- this is, you know, it. there's no filter. There's no person like me deciding who goes on the channel or not. So, yeah, I love that that point. That's that's really good to remember. I wanted to talk a little bit for a moment about fear. Um, and, you know, something that I, that has kind of astounded me is that it appears that there is there's been a latent amount of anti-Semitism. I mean, I think the anti-Muslim sentiment is fairly well out there in the United States and fairly, you know, not a secret um, among certain groups. I don't want to say that everyone feels like that, of course. But Jordan, had had you ever felt a sense of anti-Semitism before this? Yeah, well, that's, that's an interesting question. Uh, yes, is definitely the answer. Um, growing up in North Carolina, you're, you introduce yourself, uh, or, you know, again, I wouldn't go up and say, hi, I'm Jordan, I'm Jewish. Uh, but, you know, when people find out that, they are confused. And um, I had definitely experienced not blatant anti-Semitism because, you know, I'm a tall white guy, right? You, you can't identify me based off of that. Um, not in the same way that I'm sure, uh, you know, a, a Muslim has felt that, right? Or, a, you know, a, a black person has felt racism. Um, but there are definitely moments that I have been, um, I would say even like, you know, when, when we, my wife and I tried to get married uh, and she reached out to one of her close family friends and he would not marry us because mm. I'm Jewish. Um, those types of interactions you get, so, you get sort of used to, right? Um and th- but then you go to a place like the West Coast or the Northeast or Israel, and you 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 know you fit in. And again, it's not it's not based on looks, but it's based on sort of your your life and your cultural experience. Oh, you get you get days off of work for Passover, right? Like, wow, I've never heard of that before. It used to be why is why is Jordan not at school today? Um, so I had felt things like that. Now since the conflict started, I have not felt more. Anti-Semitism. Okay. In fact, I would almost say the opposite, Interesting. because there's this strange alignment. 
it's not that strange actually. There's the, there's an alignment between the conservative. Um, there's alignment between conservatives uh, with Israel, right? Um, whether it is, and I know this seems out of left field, but I know people like this, whether it is because they are extremely religious and they believe that Jews need to be in Israel for the rapture to happen. Um, I know some people in North Carolina that are super pro-Israel because of that. Mm. Um, or it's just because they, uh, you know, Israel is their beacon of democracy in the Middle East, mm. I think. I have not felt more anti-Semitism since then. Now, just before this, for example, I was looking and saw that where I used to live in, in Oakland near Lake, Mer- <coughs> near Lake Merritt, somebody vandalized and tore down the menorah that's on Lake Merritt last night um, because it was, you know, seventh night, night of Hanukkah. Uh, that hurts me, right? And that, if I lived there, I would feel fear and pain for that. Now I'm a little farther removed now. Um, or, or things like, you know, when I see in the days following the attack, when I would see things on social media, you know, glorifying um, a Hamas fighter, right? Like that, it does trigger me a little bit, right? Because I could see myself being someone in Israel, not living there, but, you know, I'm sure there were tourists, you know, at that music festival and things like that, right? And like, yeah, it's sort of, it, it's scary to think you can be targeted because of your heritage in any way. Um, but me personally here, it has actually not gone. I've not felt any more since then, though I have seen things that do scare me a little bit um, in that sense and sort of rattle your sense of, of safety. Yeah. Um, especially from a group that like, historically, I would have felt more fear from someone maybe on the right or the conservative movement. And now it is, it, it's sort of the far left, right? That is like, is making stronger statements, I think, than they know might affect someone who is like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm pro-Palestine as well, but like a blanket statement like, you know, Israel doesn't, shouldn't exist and Jews don't belong there. It's a little like, you know, rattling to me. Right. I mean, you know, something that I've been thinking about a lot is that there've been, you know, especially in the U.S., we love our World War II movies, you know, and we love this story of, you know, the the Jews being liberated and all of this stuff. And I'm just curious, like, is that going to continue? Is, you know, is Hollywood going to, you know, is that going to be much of a storyline, you know, in the next few years? Because, you know, I think a lot of people have been have have absorbed that that narrative and um but yet now that there it's just kind of shaken up that you know the the very black and white like here's the big bad Nazi and here's the innocent Jews and you know all this stuff um that's just something I've been thinking about but well yeah that goes back to you can separate a religion from a form of government mm-hmm. right you can separate a religious belief from a from a um an ideology of statehood, right? So you can really separate being Jewish from being a Zionist. And that has been happening since way before the Jewish state was formed. There's the largest group that I admire for their activism and support as a Palestinian right now is Jewish Voice for Peace. And they are understanding that you can have that in your mind. You can see... So you can, I, 
I don't know that it's a aha moment. It's been happening for a long time, but I do think we have had a a well-crafted wall of information in America mm-hmm. about that identity, that Jewish identity. And that is the word I hope that we can just accept in our normal day-to-day conversation around around this topic, which is there's Israel, there's Judaism, and there's Zionism. And we can talk about all three. Yeah. Right? And talking about one doesn't make you some anti-Semitic. So anti-Semitism is real. It's been around for a long time, mm-hmm. and it's been perpetrated not by folks who are Muslim. It is predominantly perpetrated in this country by white people. Mm-hmm. End of story, right? So that's why I say this isn't a religious issue. Let's not conflate things. It is a, it is a, it is a misconception that is damaging. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Kareem, before we mm-hmm. before we all wrap up, and I want to give you guys a chance to kind of bring up anything we didn't talk about. Also, kind of um, you know bring in some calls to action. I want to mm-hmm. give you the opportunity to talk about fear. Anything that you've been feeling that has been latent or has been bubbling up for you um, in these um, couple months? Yeah, that I mean, might it, be different. It, same, same as. Uh, th- thanks for asking. I'm in the beginning. It was I was afraid of saying I'm Palestinian, and that's why I referenced 9/11, and that's why when the president used 9/11 as the crutch in his imagery, um, I was crushed. And it was damaging because that moment was one of was a fearful moment for me. And I had to remind myself all of my whys. So um, I'm Palestinian and I'm proud of it. Um, And I have to say that as a mantra. Um, I am proud of um, the work that I get to do. I'm proud to speak up on that. Um, And I don't want to accept the fear when I introduce myself. Um, that work is not on me to do for the benefit of others, if that makes sense. I'm Kareem, and I'm proud of it. My favorite moment when I moved to Redmond, I went to a bar to catch the first game of the NFL season a couple of seasons ago, and I sit next uh, at the bar, and I'm drinking a bourbon and having a burger, and this young cat sits next to me, introduces himself, and, it's like, and said, oh, nice to meet you, Jimmy. I'm Kareem, and I've gotten the best response, and I've gotten all sorts of responses, but this, ca- this young man says, Really? <laughs> and um, if that's as bad as it gets right now in, in Redmond, so be it. I'm okay with that. Um, but I'm not going to repeat myself again. Yeah, I'm Kareem. Yes, really. Um, and I think that there's a, there's an, imp- this moment is, it's also important for me and for people who are from Palestine, who are from the region to be okay being proud. And I want to, if you're okay, transitioning maybe to the, what we can do. There is yes, a group absolutely. that th- when we, we started talking about the friendships, Jordan and my individual friendship, and then our group um, in Redmond of friends that got together. And I don't know how, but one of our friends ended up mentioning that he went to a rally at Peace Corner in downtown mm-hmm. Bend the day before. And so I've been going to those. And there is a collective group of people that transcend every identity in our region. You'll have people like me from Palestine. You'll have Jewish people. You're going to have queer people. You're going to have Mexicans and Colombians. And you want to see diversity of central organ of thought and belief? It is there. Mm -hmm. And that makes me really proud and safer to know that people go there. 
And the irony of ironies is that this young, this friend of ours who shared that he had gone to that rally that I've been going to as much as I can every weekend, he got to experience a threat for standing on a corner asking for a ceasefire. This young, blonde, blue-eyed young man in his 20s experienced the fear I'm afraid of. So when I realized that you're asking me if I'm afraid, I'm just afraid f- for anybody who wants to stand up for peace and, and a ceasefire. And that is the weaponizing I want to take out of this. Asking and believing in peace is not a bad thing. It's not a four-letter word. And that, that ceasefire, the call for a ceasefire is anti-Semitic, is a trope that is being pushed out there. Mm-hmm. And that is causing fear in people to stand up for what they want to see, which is, can we stop seeing children being killed and innocents dying every day in these numbers? That's it. So you're, I'm, I'm taking a super long way from answering if I'm afraid. <laughs> and I, am, I, I don't know that I want to accept that fear not from the safety of where I live and the privilege that I have to be able to do this and to be here with you, to be able to talk about this, not figure out where I'm going to get food today or whether I'm going to get bombed or if I'm going to lose more family members. So it's a, I know I just went off the rails as far as your simple question, but no, to Jordan's point, I don't feel fear in in Central Oregon. I wear my kefiye, which is my Palestinian The first time I met you, you were wearing that. That's right. And it was way before October uh, October 7th. Maybe a year ago even. That's right. So I'm proud of being Palestinian. And I will wear my kefiye. You see it now. I wear my my friendship pin everywhere and I give it. I've got extras for anybody who want them. It's the crisscross U.S. flag and Palestinian flags because all those things coexist. And what we need right now more than anything is to not cater and kowtow to the people who want us to be afraid, Mm. who don't want these conversations to happen. So if we forget our humanity in this moment, then I don't know what else to say, then then I will doubt your own humanity. If you can't see the humanity in this moment, I'm gonna directly question your own humanity as an individual. So that that's the activist in me. That's the you know, I can't. Uh, you, I see what happens when, when, when folks expect you to be afraid. Yeah. And I am just not saying that we should not be afraid and safe, and folks should make their right call. But personally, I've worked really hard to not feel that anymore. So I am trying not to. When that 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 fear comes up, and I'm wondering, should I stand on the corner? Is there somebody who's going to drive by and not just flip us off, but actually, like you know, the people will come by and you know film you, and you're wondering what are they going to do after that? I know it, and I can't control that. What I can control is a message of peace and a message of safety. Right now, yeah, I, I guess that that makes me think of you know all of all the. Um, the conscientious objectors and all the people of so many, you know, so many conflicts around the world who, who have been the resistance, mm-hmm. right? Um, they probably felt a lot of fear, but they didn't act on their fear necessarily. They acted on their love. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that you said that. If, uh, Jordan, I'm sorry, I'm just going off a little bit. <laughs> a month before October, I keep saying October 7th as if it's this, this defining date, and it, it is. But in September, um, I got to be in Atlanta and went to the Civil Rights Museum, the National Civil mm. Rights Museum. 
And if you want to be grounded and reminded yeah. of what we have not that long ago had to fight for and against, there's two frightening things. One, A, the museum is fantastic, but one is the same forces trying to keep people down and the words they were using in the Jim Crow era, still real. And then the second one is the legacy of Dr. King and the legacy of our civil rights leaders and what they put themselves through. It is about knowing what you're willing to fight and what you're willing to fight for. Mm -hmm. There was this fantastic exhibit at the museum of the freedom, uh, the freedom writers. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're re-experiencing the bus, you're sitting on a chair and there's this quote from Dr. King in the back of the, the, the bus seats when you walk into that exhibit that I believe says, and I may be, I may have to paraphrase that says, um, you, you, you won't be l- you don't know what t- your life's worth is until you know what you're willing to die for. Yeah, that's amazing. And then you watch the video of white people during segregationist era taking those rides being hospitalized and attacked by mobs and under the watchful safety of police accepting that and I just remind myself that what we are doing is nothing compared to the folks that we're following right now. So um, I'll hold my sign on a Saturday at yeah. you know, Peace Corner <laughs> and feel that I can trust my neighbors not to be, not to hark back to that. Ironically, quick share, on October 7th, I was in Detroit and I got to go to the Henry Ford Museum where Rosa Parks' bus is located and got to sit in the, in the bus. Wow. So yeah. how ironic is that? Yeah. A little bit ironic. Yeah. Um, so let's wrap up and just let's talk about, you know, where you all are putting your energy in terms of donations or action. Um, anything you want to say to get people motivated? Yeah, I, well, I'll, I mean, I can start because I I've, you know, I've felt sort of handicapped at first in like knowing what to do. I think um, the first thing I did is actually reached out to. Um, one of my friends, Ali, who is, um, he lives in Boston now, but he was a, a good buddy in Oakland. And I said, where, do, where would my money go best right now? Because I know money speaks when it comes to donations. And he, he sent me a bunch of organizations, but one that I was already donating to is Doctors Without Borders. Mm-hmm. They have boots on the ground there. Um, that is, that's the one that I continue to donate to. I think the other important thing that I just wanted to mention, and this is sort of how this whole podcast came up, right, is to reach out to your friends mm. who you don't, mm-hmm. who you might be afraid to talk with this about. It doesn't mean you have to have a solution and it doesn't mean you have to come in strong and say, hey, buddy, here's what I think, right? Like it's more of check in with them mm-hmm. because that's that was the first action I took and it broke through, uh, you know, not just with Kareem, but with all of my friends who, you know, I, I didn't want them to, say, oh, well, Jordan's not posting on Instagram that he stands with Palestine right away. Like, what does that mean? There were these things that I was worried about, these internal dialogues that I was like, I wanted to make sure that I let people know that I'm with them, right? And that's like a pretty important thing. Yes, standing on a street corner as well and calling for ceasefire and and putting your money in the right places, but like reach out to your Jewish friends, reach out to your friends who have connections in that in that area your palestinian friends your lebanese friends your syrian friends anyone in that area is affected by this 
um, and is going to be for a long time. And I think just letting them know that you're thinking about them and that you would like to know how you could help them Mm. was the first step I took. And it made me feel a lot better. Um, And it doesn't mean that I'm like, oh, I'm done. Cool. Checking out. (laughs) I'll I'll see you all next year. Um, It's a start. And it's a start to um, it's a start to a process, and I am very lucky to know someone like Kareem who who has the connections and knows other places to put money and has you know knows the person at uh, the Source mm. Weekly who has a podcast and Whoa. things like that. You know, yeah, our door is open. Everyone <laughs> yeah. knows my email. Yeah, but I I wouldn't have been <laughs> able to do these things without like you know a nice soft kick in the butt, pat on the back from Kareem that that he's like, hey. We, we talk about these things. Let's talk about this on a broader scale. What can we do? Um, well, so, I'll add yeah. that Doctors Without Borders, mm-hmm. for sure. I'm also feeling incredibly um, blessed that through my company, one of our clients is UNRWA USA. And UNRWA is the um, humanitarian organization that has been on the ground for decades providing hum- relief and aid and support uh, to Palestine refugees in five different places. So Gaza, West Bank, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria. They are an amazing group of humanitarian workers who have lost, I cannot even count how many colleagues right now. Um, So knowing what they do every day, and I'm saying and I'm calling them out specifically because there has been some hearings in Congress where the, the name of UNRWA is being dragged through the mud by ignorance who are trying to again weaponize humanitarian work mm-hmm. and for some and I will I can't not say that and they provide the most critical work to provide to give aid to people in Gaza so UNRWA USA you can donate to them UNRA you sorry thank you UNRWA okay UNRWA um they're a fantastic organization that has been doing this for decades on the ground as are groups like Doctors Without Borders. So those those two. And if you are in Central Oregon and you are now feeling like you want to do something, um, just look up the Central Oregon for Free Palestine. This group is one that has made me feel like there's a sense of community and family here in Central Oregon of folks who are trying to figure out how to get together and and coordinate things like that. So they're the group through which we did. Um, we reached out to the folks at, and again, another awesome shout out at Turtle Island Coffee in mm-hmm. downtown Bend. They, we asked them and they said, absolutely. They did a ceasefire latte special, all proceeds of which go to Doctors Without Borders. So to her point of our money has power, <coughs> our money can, can make a difference. So give what you can to the groups that are trying. And there's, there's a lot of good ones out there. Yeah. Well, it's been such a pleasure having you both on. Thank you so much, Kareem and Jordan, for this uh, awesome conversation. Um, I'd love to, you know, see where see what your conversations look like uh, in private. I'm sure it's lots of fun. Yeah. It, it is. And I very guess. interesting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's <laughs> the one thing we didn't do. We usually crack a few jokes and we give ourselves a little bit of, a f- of the freedom to say yeah. WTF here and let's, let's, but we, we did good today. We did good. Yeah. And thank you so much for having yeah. us. This was yeah. a good time. We, um, yeah, I, you know, I love, uh, love being able to talk freely about this with, with Kareem. It's, it's easy. You yeah. Know? Awesome. Thank you so much, Nicole. Yeah. Pleasure having you both on Ben Don't Break. Mm-hmm. 
You've been listening to the Ben Don't Break podcast powered by The Source Weekly. To read, hear, and see more of what we do, go to bensource.com.